I have been asked some really interesting questions about from sexual positions of certain sex toys to like, and you're just you. It's always a, I am a very like a giggly, laughy person. I just can't help it. And it's with, it has been very hard for me in certain situations <laughs> to keep a straight face because you don't want them. I don't want you to feel like I'm laughing at you, but the way that you're talking about this, I'm just like, it. you have really thrown me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You've really thrown me for one. I don't know about that particular sex toy. I'm so sorry. But like, I don't, we haven't studied all the sex toys in pregnancy. I don't have information for you. Hi, I'm Sarah. Welcome to the Juno Women podcast, where I sit down with mamas to talk about their health, their work, their parenting, and all the different ways that they're keeping it together. Juna is a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Christine Sterling about all things trying to conceive, pregnancy, and postpartum. Dr. Sterling is a board-certified OBGYN whose goal is to make sure you have an informed pregnancy and a prepared postpartum experience. In today's episode, we dig into the different things you can do to prepare yourself for pregnancy, as well as using pregnancy as a time to implement strong self-care routines that will carry over into your everyday life. We also talk about how to best prepare yourself for birth, as well as the important things we can do to prepare for postpartum life. I hope you enjoy. I am very excited to have you on the podcast, so thank you so much for joining me. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about you, your specialty, and who you are a mom to. So I'm Dr. Christine Sterling. I'm a board-certified OBGYN. I have two kids. Celeste is three and a half. Oliver is nine months. And I'm really passionate about pregnancy and postpartum education and support especially recently the support during pregnancy and and postpartum from our doctor's office hasn't been able to be what it was before because we're in the middle of a pandemic but so i provide support online so through my instagram i have online courses and then in february i'm launching a pregnancy and postpartum membership to help support people's pregnancy journey oh that's awesome what kind of stuff is going to be in there it's going to be really robust. So there's going to be tons of educational videos, lots of like facts and cute Q&As. So it basically would be a, is a searchable database. So if you have any questions about your pregnancy, a diagnosis, anything like that, you can go in and search and get high quality expert-based health information. So you don't have to spend hours on Google trying to figure out what to believe and what's reliable and what's not. And then there's a live teaching component, and that's where we talk more about the the other stuff about motherhood that we can prepare for in pregnancy, our own self-care and how we tune into our intuition as mothers and how we can stay present in the midst of this our crazy world. There's a lot of skills that we can develop in pregnancy that are going to make our transition to motherhood either for the first time or adding more children just smoother. Yeah, no, I'm curious, as an OB, has your perspective on this all changed since becoming a mother? Or have you always been very compassionate to what that experience is like? I would say yes, 100%. (laughs) It has changed. I will say that I was always 
I always saw pregnancy as a really important time in a person's life where they are, there's that pause between before you do something where you think, you just think about it a little longer, right? Because you're thinking about your baby, how is this going to impact your baby? And so I always saw it as an opportunity to really expand that space and allow people to be more present with their all of their actions and take better care of themselves. Because let's be real, like a lot of my audience is like myself, professional, hardworking, overachieving, you know, perfectionist people. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We don't always take care of ourselves. We put our careers and other people and all of that first. And so pregnancy is the opportunity to say, hey, let's slow this down and let's see how we we fill you up. So I always believed in that. What I didn't understand was one, how truly challenging even the very quote-unquote, normal symptoms of pregnant pregnancy can be. Just because something is common and it happens to a lot of us doesn't mean that it feels normal when you're going through it. Like when you're nauseous every day for months on end, it gets to you on a very deep level. <laughs> and then postpartum was like, it, it blew me out of the water. I had no idea what that challenge really looked like. And so that was very eye-opening and completely changed the way I practiced. Yeah, that's, no, that's, it's so interesting. I, I always remember back to the very first time I was pregnant and I like went in to, for my first appointment with my OB and she was like, I was explaining, I was in there because like I had some light bleeding and I was like, what, you know, like going through the rest of my symptoms and she's like, yeah, those, those all sounds like you're pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, that was a very unsympathetic way of, totally. um, <laughs> and she had not had any kids yet. And now I look back at that and I'm like, yeah, that would mean like you, you really can't understand what it's like to be constantly nauseous or whatever, whatever else it is until you actually are constantly nauseous. 100% Sarah, I have said, yeah. I am sure I said something <laughs> very similar to a patient. And here's what I will say. You're right. I think that you can't truly understand what it's like until you have experienced it. But here's the problem. We have not, I was not educated in my training about the experience of the pregnant person. That wasn't, it was all about them as as a condition, as a, these are the medical conditions to be considered. This is what you're looking for. And it goes back to it's in the end, medicine is a patriarchy too. So the mm-hmm. stories of women have really been devalued. And so there is a way to educate people who have not experienced pregnancy about what it's like and how we can be supportive beyond just saying, oh yeah, that's normal. I think we can do better. I know we can do better. And I already see that change um, happening, but obviously it's not happening fast enough. But yeah, we should be teaching doctors about what the experience of being pregnant can be like and really understanding that just because something isn't medically pathologic doesn't mean that we don't deserve empathy and just, you know, compassion. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Now, you also have a preconception course, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I want to start there because I want to talk about, I think one of the things that was shocking to me was that there's, there's preconception care that can happen. And, and I think a lot of people just think that, oh, all of a sudden, like I want to get pregnant. And so now I'm going to get off birth control and 
get pregnant. And so can you talk a little bit about what people who are thinking about having kids, like how they should start preparing for themselves, both medically and like in their health and emotionally? Totally. Yeah. So yeah, that's, you hit the nail on the head right there. You want to optimize your health and your health is both your physical health and your mental and emotional health. For one, just the reproductive journey is not always a straight line. And there's a, there, there's a lot of, it's an emotional journey too. So there's experiences like having, like you had, like having spotting in your first trimester. That was, I'm sure, not an easy experience for you. And then there's actual, there's miscarriage and there's a loss and there's infertility and there's pregnancy complications. So it is, it, it can be a very difficult journey. So you want to think, okay, am I emotionally optimized to embark on this journey? And I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And so that's just from, everyone should be thinking about that. And then especially if you have a diagnosis like OCD or anxiety or a history of an eating disorder or depression, you really want to optimize your mental health prior to pregnancy and find the right medication and talk to your doctor about your medication in pregnancy. You don't have to just stop all psychiatric medications when you become pregnant. There are medications that are relatively safe. And then if you don't want to be on medication, let's make sure that you're able to optimize your mental health to a good enough degree with the other things that we can do, exercise and sleep and avoiding caffeine, like that kind of stuff. Mental, emotional health. I always think of, I start preparing about six months before I'm actually going to start trying to conceive. In my head, I'm like, all right, I need to like get ready for this journey mentally, physically. And then from a physical standpoint, ideally everyone would actually go see their OBGYN or midwife for a preconception appointment. And at that appointment, we look at everything. We look at your medical problems, if you have any, and if you do, let's make sure they're optimized. We look at your family history to see if there's anything that we need to be looking out for, anything we should test for before you actually start to get pregnant, try to get pregnant. And we talk about genetic testing. We talk about, we do a physical exam. We just make sure that your health is optimized for pregnancy because one, you want your body to be strong and healthy in order to have a a nourishing environment for a baby, but also because pregnancy is a huge stress on our body. And um, also going into it with some level of physical fitness is really helpful. So yeah. Yeah. So do you recommend genetic testing prior to pregnancy? It depends. If you, here's the thing about genetic testing. If you did, if you're from a at-risk group, let's say there's a sickle cell in your family or you're Ashkenazi Jewish and there's the concern for Tay-Sachs or cystic fibrosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You may want to get an idea of where you're at before. The reality is that If you found out, for example, that both you and your partner were a carrier for something like cystic fibrosis, your options are at that point to, you could not attempt to get pregnant, not have children. Mm -hmm. You could get pregnant and just see what happens and do testing or not doing, not do testing, depending on what you want. Or you could do in vitro fertilization with pre-implantation diagnosis. That's the only way that you could 
say, okay, I want to get pregnant, but I know that we're both carriers of this and I don't want to get pregnant with, with an embryo that has that, that has that recessive condition. IVF with pre-implantation diagnosis, where they actually look at the, the genetic makeup of the embryo before implanting it would be the, the only way to, not the embryo, but they do it before that with the blastocyst. That would and be the only way. You can do that too with the BRCA gene. Is there, are there any other genes that they're looking at weeding out? Um, there are many. I, I would assume, I would assume, I'm not an infertility specialist, but I would assume that they have hundreds that they can look at. And mm-hmm. I know that some companies are starting to do whole genome sequencing, but so looking at all of the uh, genetic material, but I don't know how accurate that has, you know, proven to be in that, in that setting in terms of when we do it, when people are actually pregnant, we it's, it hasn't, doesn't have a lot of data behind it. it's available, but yeah. Got it. Okay. Very interesting. And, okay. So you basically want to be as healthy as possible prior mm-hmm. to, to getting pregnant. And then you, when would you do the preconception visit? Like how many like how, how Listen, early? it is hard. It's hard enough to get people. Most people don't do that visit anyway. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you get in before, ideally, right. I'd say, okay, if you have a lot of, if you have medical problems, you have thyroid issues, you have blood pressure issues, like you're, and you potentially need to make adjustments to your medications. Like you have diabetes and you want to optimize your medication, the earlier, the better, right? Six months before you're even trying to conceive, you could go get a preconception visit and have a plan for how you're going to get your medical conditions under control before you get pregnant. But if you're like, I'm otherwise healthy a month, a few months before, there's no exact rule. It just depends on what your concerns are. Got it. Yeah. I did not know that a preconception visit existed. I just got my IUD taken out. (laughs) That was like... That was it. And there was no discuss, no like further discussion. So I feel like I, I, I try and talk about the preconception visit as much as possible. Cause I think it's mostly that people don't know that's an option. People don't know it's an option. And I will be honest. I don't think that like OBGYNs and we're not doing a great job of, of I'm telling, like when you get your IUD right. out, right. That's a perfect opportunity for your provider to be like, Hey girl, are you trying to get pregnant? Do you want to schedule right. you know, a schedule? <laughs> a preconception visit. And I have had plenty of my followers say, when I've talked about the preconception appointments, I made one and my doctor was just like, yeah, you're fine. Just go get pregnant. And they didn't ask any questions or do anything. And I'm like, we complain when they, when patients don't come in and their health isn't optimized. And then we don't, obviously these are probably different people, different providers, but yeah, if you, I will say, if you go to an OB or midwife for a preconception visit and they blow you off, that's a good sign that maybe you should keep find a new one for what somebody who's going to take who's going to sit down with you and let's talk about this yes yeah i i that, that doctor i actually went to and she was she was fine and great but then when i got pregnant i had a miscarriage then i had an ectopic pregnancy and then i had another ectopic pregnancy and i ended up changing my not that any of these things had to do with my ob but the the ob that i saw when i it was a, it was like an emergent ex- mm-hmm. situation where like i had to spend a week in the hospital because it was a corneal ectopic and that 
it was, yeah, it was, it was quite a path to pregnancy for me. But in that whole thing, I realized like how important it is to have an OB who's going to sit there and listen. Cause I literally, it was back when up to date was available for all consumers. And I had read every single study that had every single case of a corneal ectopic pregnancy, I had known what and what had happened and how they treated it. And I was going through all of them with my OB and I was just like, so you're, are you sure we can't move it <laughs> before we, yeah. and she, she, not that she entertained that because obviously there was no moving it, but she yeah. did not dismiss me or say, stop, stop getting on Google. I wasn't on Google. I was on up to date. Like, <laughs> very reliable source. This is, I'm like, you're reading the same sources. I know that you've gone in there and read every case too. Cause these are, I mean, it was such a rare thing. She was basically like, we've never seen one. So everything we do is going to be trial and error. But yeah, I think like that to me was the, you need to have a provider who is going to listen to you, make you feel validated and, and make sure that, like, I mean, make, make sure that they have your back. And she had said to me, she was like, Sarah, like my goal is to deliver your baby. That is, I will deliver your baby when you get pregnant again. Like that is, that is my goal. Like we'll make, nothing will make me happier. And, and she did, she delivered two of them. So. Oh my gosh, that brings tears to my eyes, 100%. Yeah. And I will say that not every doctor is for every person. Like it's really, we're, we are human beings. And there are, sometimes there's a good match and some, sometimes your friend will be like, oh my gosh, I loved my doctor. And you'll go to them and you're like, this is not my vibe. And that's yeah. okay. That's yeah. okay. We deserve to be cared for by people that you should be able to walk out of an office, out of a doctor's office or a midwife's office and say, that person cares about me. I feel cared for. That's a therapeutic relationship right there. And that matters. Even though we only have, we only have 10 minute visits or sometimes we get a little bit longer, but even though the visits are short in when it comes to pregnancy and well woman checks, still, you should feel like that person cares. Yes. So that I I wanted to ask the question of, okay, so I'm pregnant, Mm -hmm. like I have two questions. So I'll ask my first one because I think we've answered. I was going to say, how do we make the most out of our first prenatal appointment? And I think one of the things that we've touched on is making sure that the relationship is there. Mm-hmm. Are there. Is there any other things that come to mind for you? So the relationship and really listening to yourself in that visit. And you'll probably, most people come to that visit with a ton of questions and feeling like you are being treated not like an actual person who we get the same questions over and over again, but it's brand new to that person who's sitting across from us, especially if it's their first time. So ask your questions. Don't be afraid to ask your questions and write them down on a piece of paper and bring them in and gauge it. you'll You'll learn a lot just by seeing how, the person reacts to your questions because there's very few questions that we are asked for the first time. Yeah. Are there any that stick out to you? Is you were like, oh, that was the first time I've gotten that. Oh my goodness. There are none of them. <laughs> <laughs> I can I only imagine. I have been asked some really interesting questions about from sexual positions of certain sex toys to like, and you're just, you it's always a, I am a very like a giggly, laughy person. I just can't help it. And it's 
with it has been very hard for me in certain situations <laughs> to keep a straight face because you don't want them I don't want you to feel like I'm laughing at you but the way that you're talking about this I'm just like it you have really thrown me <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You've really thrown me for one. I don't know that particular sex toy. I'm so sorry. But like, I don't, we haven't studied all the sex toys in pregnancy. I don't have information for you. But I can look into that. <laughs> oh, into your uterus? Please don't use that. But, you know. <laughs> Got it. Okay. That's, yeah, that's, I, I bet that there's some, it, it, you know, not that there, and I, I truly believe that there's no dumb questions, but, no. um, especially when it comes to your body, but we get some really weird questions on Instagram. So I can only imagine any question. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not a doctor. You need to ask your OB (laughs) or whatever your, whoever your provider is, you need to ask them. And the the truth is that we, OBGYNs, midwives, we're so comfortable talking about sex and vaginas and penises and what, like it is, And I love it when people just lay it out on the table and they're like, my partner was doing this to me and then this happened. I'm just like, I love that you feel so comfortable. (laughs) I really feel like that's how we should be. Sex sex shouldn't be such this like taboo. There's a lot of people who are even afraid to say the word vagina in front of their doctors. So like I would far rather somebody like it brings me joy when someone just is like, lays it out there and has no shame about it. I love that. But it also makes me giggle, but I giggle at everything. Yes. I I don't know why this is making me think of this, but I just, I have to, now we're talking about it, but I had really terrible hemorrhoids with all of my, with all of my pregnancies. And with this last one, I had, I like, I I had to get them excised after I gave birth and the doctor Mm -hmm. was going through everything with me and he's okay. And no anal sex. And I was like, like, I burst out laughing. I was like, oh my goodness, shucks. I'm going to be so devastated telling my husband I cannot. But he was like very serious because I'm sure, but he like really meant it. And I was like, oh, you have no. He has seen what happens when he doesn't say that. Exactly. Oh my God, exactly. And I'm like, I've just had a baby. I've, you know, like I pushed the baby. This is, I'm, it's, I'm, I think it was like three weeks postpartum. I'm like, yeah. I'm all set on the sex. Thank you. But I will advise my husband anyway. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. 
As a Juno Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. Um, Okay, so I have just found out that I'm pregnant. Is there anything that I should start or stop doing immediately? Okay, so I think that everybody knows the answer to this, but like drinking, smoking, and doing drugs, Mm -hmm. don't do that. All of the, I'm, there are obviously like there's all of these food rules in terms of deli meats and raw fish. (laughs) And yeah, there's all of that stuff. That's all. We don't want people to get listeria in pregnancy, which is, that can be found. It's truthfully, there's been outbreaks like in fricking ice cream too. But the kind of the sprouts are a common one, deli meats. I feel like it's always in um, romaine lettuce. Yeah. Yeah. So there's been outbreaks of listeria and like a bunch of stuff. And it just, it's listeria causes listeriosis, which can be really not great in pregnancy for baby can cause preterm labor. It can cause problems, other problems with baby too. Yeah. So following those don't eat, those don't eat rules. But other than that, just taking care of yourself, like start do, if you're not already start a self-care routine because pregnancy can be really challenging. And even if you have a dream of a pregnancy, postpartum can be quite, quite overwhelming. And if you already have a robust healthcare routine and you know yourself, you know what things really make you feel better when you're having a tough day. That's the cool thing about engaging in self-care on a regular daily basis. You start learning more about yourself. You start saying, you know what, actually for me, exercise is really critical self-care. For me, for most humans, sleep Mm -hmm. is really important. Maybe I am not sleeping so well in pregnancy, but I can at least bump it up my priority list. Yeah. So self-care. Yeah. I I always find it interesting when people get judgy about what is or what is not self-care. And I'm like, I I think the definition of self-care is anything that like you need to prioritize for yourself because it makes you feel better. And if exercise makes me feel better, then why is it not count as self-care? Oh my gosh. Okay. The word self is in the word. Guess yeah. who has to freaking define it? Yeah. Me. Me. Yeah. What is, what takes care of me? I get to define that. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a, it was interesting. I actually had a follower reach out to me and say, will you tell moms that sh- showers are not self-care? And I said, truth is that for me personally, uh, a long hot shower is like a hot shower is my place of respite. When I have, when I am like an emotional wreck, like I turn on the shower and that's where I'm going to (laughs) cry. That is my spot. And since I was a little girl, that's been the case. So for me, when somebody says like a self showers aren't self-care, I'm like, no, that's it. But they are. Literally literally any activity can be self-care or it can be anti-self-care. So you can have, for example, scrolling on social media. You can go on social media and you can look at some funny meme accounts. You can send some to your friends. You can look, go to accounts that you feel really inspired by and uplifted, or you can go and you can scroll and compare yourself to other people and 
go down a shame spiral. So right. any, really anything can be, wine can be anti-self-care and you can use it to numb, or you can be like, get really into to wine and, and tasting the notes and have a little notebook. And so anything can be self-care or anti-self-care. It's about, does this bring you closer to presence and feeling in connection with yourself and aligned with your values? Or is this bringing, are you getting further away from yourself? Are you numbing or hiding from problems or running from problems? Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that you that you draw that analysis because I, I think that is the definition for me is I'm like, yeah, like anything can be used for good or bad and you know, like what I do or don't have time for. And this person who said to who said this about the shower, I'm I'm like, new motherhood is is just in your face. It is like what you have time, like, you know, my, I almost interrupt you. It is though, like I, there were yeah. days that I would go without a shower because I just couldn't find the time. And so when I finally did shower, it felt so incredible. And yeah, I get, I get the point that people are trying to make is we, we shouldn't be like, we shouldn't we be shouldn't so be accepting of off the floor. Yeah. Right. I get what they're trying right. to say. But at the end of the day, like this is like motherhood is a season. There's many seasons of motherhood and we, we, I'm not always going to have the time to have an hour and a half workout or to have be able to take a bath or to be able to, I'm not always going to have that time, but when I can do it, that is self-care. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. We have to, we do have to prioritize ourselves, but that doesn't mean that I am able to prioritize myself every single day, all the time. It means that I am always thinking about, okay, am I taking care of me? That's always a question. If I know that I'm, I need to be spending more time with myself or more time exercising or meditating or whatever it is, then I need to look at my priorities and my values and figure out how can I, when you're a parent, everything goes on the chopping block, right? Like you, there are limited hours in the day. And I just like, for me personally, like things like having a perfectly clean house, especially right now when we don't, we're not having anybody come in to help us. I'm just, I've just given that up. I'm just like, yeah, it's just not going to be like really cute and spotless right now. There's just going to be toys everywhere. And I give that up. And for some people that's like a clean house is so important for their mental well-being. So it's yeah. about knowing yourself and knowing what you need to feel okay. Yeah. And it's, and you know, and it, and again, it also, it, I, I laughed because I remember in the middle of the first like lockdown when mm-hmm. we didn't have our house cleaner coming in and I was you know eight months pregnant and I was like bleaching <laughs> bathroom floors because it was just like, and I was just like, okay, like the, num- the, like for me, the number one priority is to, is because I can't be doing this anymore. It's actually not safe for me to be like, bleaching for bathroom floors. And I need this house clean. And it was, but yeah. Okay. So I want to skip over the trimester questions that I had planned because I want, I do want to make sure that we have enough time to talk about postpartum care, but I want to talk about how can I prepare myself for labor? It really depends. Okay. It depends on what, what you're, what you want. I would say 
if you are looking for a low intervention on medicated birth, I've had both types of birth. I've had mm-hmm. no intervention birth center, no medication birth. And I've had, I've been induced with an epidural whole, so very different experiences. Yeah. Me too. Um, Me too. I did both. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, glad I'm, I'm so glad I've had both. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I, yeah. So that unmedicated birth experience required a lot of preparation, a lot of preparations and having a doula or support person, even if you're not able to have them necessarily in the hospital with you can be really helpful. I, and then taking a really high quality birth course can be really helpful. The birth preparation course is the one I recommend. It's from a fellow OBGYN, Nicole Rankins. She's amazing. Her course is amazing. So I always send people to that one. And that's great for people who want to um, have an unmedicated birth and for people who want a medicated birth. But what I will say is truly talk to your OB and go over what a emergency situation looks like in labor what it looks like when things don't go as planned. I have a few videos on my Instagram, IGTV videos about baby's heart rate in labor and emergency C-sections. That is the stuff that people really aren't prepared for and can be really traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Just like having, just not really know what happens in an emergency situation. In one of my videos, my IGTV TV videos, I'd explain what happens when baby's heart rate goes down and then all these people rush in and it can be really overwhelming if you don't know what's going on. So I think that can be really helpful to just, and the birth preparation course from Dr. Rankins also goes through a lot of that stuff. And then for everyone, even if you're you're not looking for, you've had a baby before, maybe you're not looking for an unmedicated delivery. I think it's getting really clear in terms of not necessarily a birth plan, but really having values like birth values, like I, for me, when I went into my birth with Oliver, my second birth, I knew that I wanted it to be different because my first birth with my daughter, Celeste, that was unmedicated was very traumatizing for me, even though we were very healthy and there were no complications. Mm-hmm. And so with Oliver, I said, for me, I just, I want to, my, I value safety. I also want to feel more in control. And so for me, that meant getting an epidural the second time around. And I wanted to feel like I was being taken care of and I wasn't in the driver's seat, which was one of the things that I don't think most people do this, but like in my first birth, I was directing traffic and I was like, I, next time (laughs) I want someone else to be telling me what to do so that I'm not, you know, I had, yeah, my midwife, when I delivered Celeste was like, can you please move your hand? I haven't even checked your cervix and you're pushing (laughs) I don't even know if you're fully dilated. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. So your first birth, you delivered with a midwife. Mm -hmm. And your second birth. Wait, both were, both are, okay. So both are midwife, but one was, one was induced. Yeah. So my first birth was at a birth center, but inside of a hospital. Okay. Very lucky that we have that here in San Diego. And it was, yeah, no medication. I didn't even realize it, but I didn't have an IV. I labored in a tub. We had like spa music playing. It was like, it's those birth videos where you watch and I want that birth. That looks really relaxing and nice. Mm -hmm. It was not. 
It was, <laughs> it was truly not. I got to the point where I was in so much pain and everybody in the room thought I had fallen asleep because I was in the tub and I went limp. But really what was happening was I was in so much pain. I didn't know my name. I didn't know where I was. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything. All I knew was pain and I was like, <laughs> trigger warning. I was yeah. just like, I want to die. Mm-hmm. And then I knew then she was coming and I pushed her out as fast as I, I think I pushed four times and I pushed her out really fast and did not try, like I had wanted to let my perineum stretch and reduce tearing. And I was like, it was like a bat out of hell. I was like, get me the hell out of here. And I pushed and I just tore and I, it was not a good experience. So the next time I'm like, I would like you to help me push, tell me what to do. I'll have an epidural. And Oliver's birth was so phenomenal. I literally almost laughed him out and he was 10 pounds. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, how, I'm, I'm big. I'm big. So okay. how big was your daughter? Eight. Eight. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's a big difference. It's a big difference. And you know what? Me and my midwife both thought that Oliver was going to be the same size as Celeste or smaller, which I tell people all the time because we're okay at estimating fetal weight. We are not great. Us putting our hands on a belly is about the same as an ultrasound. We are okay. So people are like, my baby's measuring big. I'm like, maybe, maybe they're huge. Maybe they're not. Like we just, it's, we're okay. We're okay at it. But we both grossly underestimated by two pounds. I've never been that off on an estimated fetal weight on another person. Ever. That's what my, my son Levi, when he came out of my belly this time, he, he like came out, I'm holding him and I'm like looking at him and I'm like, he's so tiny. And I went through this, I'm trigger warning here too. Like I went through this like moment while I'm holding him. I just had just pushed him out of feeling so guilty because I'm like, he's so much smaller than my other babies. Did I do something wrong this time that yeah. made him so much smaller? And even and my midwife was like, she's like, yeah, he is small. Oh my goodness. And we didn't, I, did, I had a home birth. We didn't weigh him until... Like, Abby and I, she had stitched me up. It must have been two hours later. She weighs him, and he was eight pounds. He was my biggest baby. (laughs) Even looking at him out of the wound, we were like, he's so tiny. So He looks so skinny. And he was literally my biggest baby. (laughs) That is too funny. That is too funny. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the distribution of their weight, too. Like, some babies just look bigger because they just have those like those cherub cheeks and you're like oh my gosh you're this big chubby baby and some babies are just like their their fat distribution is just different yeah yeah that was my little lean guy (laughs) he just like looked like a little chicken mini chicken okay so let's get into postpartum because I think this is your where you're spending a lot of your time and are super Mm -hmm. passionate about so what are the things that I can be doing to prepare myself Oh my goodness. How much time do you have? Okay. So here's the thing so much. So there's the, let's start with where my expertise really is, which is the physical preparation, especially in the United States, we treat maternity leave and the end of pregnancy. Like we really reward people for working we start maternity leave, like either like you go into labor and then you start maternity leave. We don't start it very early. People are like applauded for, oh, she defended her dissertation and she went into labor or like she, you know, up until the day she went into labor. Literally in my field, it's, oh my gosh, I had 
my induction medication place. And then I went back to clinic and I saw more patients and you're like, Oh my God. So that I don't listen, if that's what you want to do, go for it. But truly um, the end of pregnancy is a very physically overwhelming time. And if you can take a few weeks off before birth, please do. Okay. We, we need to think of birth. Like birth is an is a very physically stressful event for our body. So we need to prepare for birth like an elite athlete prepares for a game or a match. So I have the what would Serena do rule. So if Serena Williams was preparing for a big tennis match, would she do this? And you can ask yourself that in the in the final weeks of pregnancy, like Serena Williams is probably not running errands all day a few days before her big match, right? She's probably like sleeping and, and eating well and hydrating. So we need to slow down and take care of our body because it's about to go through a really stressful event. And ideally you don't work up until the, the day you give birth. Unfortunately, some people are really forced to with the way that our um, system is set up. So preparing for that physically by just really honing in on the basics at the end of pregnancy, sleep, nutrition, hydration, that kind of thing. And then getting under, kind of setting up your life for the fact that you're, especially if you have another little one, the fact that you're going to be in recovery. We spend so much time thinking about baby's space at the end of pregnancy and getting everything all ready and decorating a nursery if you have a separate room for them. But really, we also have to think about our space. So is our bedroom where we're going to be spending a lot of time? Is that a really healing place? Is that a place that we want to be? So, you know, little things like getting a a little plants are actually really good for healing. There's actually data to support that plants are good for mental health and healing. So like I bought a few new plants for my room before I gave birth to Oliver just to, I knew I was going to be kind of indoors and in my room a lot. So I wanted to make it a place that I felt was really healing for me. And if you have other kids and you're potentially going to have a belly birth or a C-section and setting up expectations with the kids and other caretakers for what you're going to be able to do and what you're not going to be able to do and getting support in place. And during a pandemic, that may mean asking the support people if you're able to quarantine for you before they come into your space. It's a really difficult time right now for people navigating those boundaries with family and friends. And so actually having some education about boundaries and how we set them and what they are, this that's not necessarily my area of expertise, which is why when I created the preparation for postpartum course, we call it prepared postpartum, I teamed up with a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so she provides that kind of education inside of the course where we talk about family boundaries and setting them and uh, relationships and how we, how do we negotiate what our different roles and responsibilities are in our relationship, especially for first time parents. They just, you have no idea how much it's going to change your relationship, right? Like with the sleep deprivation and suddenly you have to make all of these decisions together that you haven't had to before and on little sleep, and there's a lot of stress to the relationship. So all of that stuff is really important. Yes. Yes, man, all of that. I feel the second time you have a baby is so much easier for so many reasons. But like the the biggest reason is because you now know what 
postpartum looks like and you mm-hmm. can set up your environment in a way that can allow for you to be successful and healing and you know, like and resting like that you just don't know what you're going to be hit with <laughs> the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. even if you, the thing is with first time parents is there's a bunch of people telling you, oh, just wait, just, you're not going to sleep all this. There's a lot of kind of scary stuff. And you're like, I just want to be freaking happy. Like, why can't I just be right. happy? Everybody's trying to scare me. And the thing is that you don't actually know what to do about it. As a first time right. parent, you're hearing all this stuff and you're like, okay, good, great. Unless you have one of those like solid friends who's okay, girl, this is what you're going to do and lays it out for you. Mm-hmm. You don't know that. That's the whole reason why we were like, we, my friend Cassie and I, who's the therapist I've worked with, that's why we created the course. Cause we're like, there's no way to know exactly what steps you need to take on your own. There's just, yeah. there's nothing comprehensive enough. Yeah. I wish it would be nice if it was part of prenatal care. That's my dream. But I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's one of those things though, that I, and this is my perspective is that when you're pregnant, especially for the first time, everything is so new and like you're pregnant and and you're like reading about what's going on at week 37 and you're reading about what's going on in week 38. And then you're thinking about labor and getting the baby out of you that it's like, those are like, those are the immediate goalposts that you're looking at that it, it almost feels like such a hurdle to think about because you can't even imagine what life is like with a baby, yeah. let alone what life is like with a baby and you trying to heal your body, negotiate your relationships with your parents, your husband, your new, like all of those things are just so, it's so much <laughs> that it's like, that it's hard to think about when you're pregnant like about to approach having a baby. And I, yeah, I think like my, my life goal too, especially with Juna and this podcast is to prepare people. And even some of my closest friends will be like, I was really shocked at this. And I'm like, wait, but I, like, I had mentioned that to you. I told you, oh, you're going to have night sweats. And they're like, I just, I thought I was leaking. And I'm like, yeah, it's just like when you're tired and have, no sleep, like you, you can't make the connections that someone told you a week earlier or whatever it was. <laughs> People, yeah. and you, and that's the thing about the, all of the warnings. Often you just, you're not necessarily integrating it. Like you, you no. hear the warnings, they go in one ear, out another. And I don't know personally, I don't know how much just the pure warning itself. I don't know people always say, I wish someone had told me, but then I'm always like, but do you really? Because most of the time, um, just being told it without having anything that would be helpful that you can do in that situation is not what people want. So yeah, it's tricky. The things that I don't think anybody can quite understand until you're in it is what it feels like to have a physical recovery in which every single basic function is a challenge when walking, sitting, pooping, peeing, like when that's all challenging, it gets to you on a different level. It's not just, oh, I'm in pain. It's no, I can't freaking sit here. Like I can't Mm -hmm. sit. I can't pee without crying. Like I can't, oh, don't even get me started on the first bowel movement. Oh my God. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Am I going to die? Yeah. Not that what we really need is more like preparation definitely with like direct this is what you need to do 
but also more support when you're there. Like yeah. more support than what we have now. I, yes, I love that. Like with that, so I guess what do you, what is your take on postpartum care right now? Like I I I know that you're not a huge fan of this. Like six weeks, you can have sex. There you go. <laughs> it really pisses me off, to be honest. Yeah. It's yeah. deeply, and I get in trouble from some people for saying this, but I think it's deeply misogynistic. Of course um, it is. I, yeah. I think it's, it's really, I could start, I could burst into tears right now just thinking about it. It's us treating women like they're just a vessel to carry children. Okay. Babies out, figure it out on your own. This is, it's the most physical and emotionally overwhelming experience of your life. And it's the time when you most need someone to hold your hand, even if we can't do anything from a medical perspective, right? just some kind of support to hold someone's hand. And, and truthfully, the postpartum period is a high risk time for medical complications. You can have elevated blood pressure. There's postpartum depression. There's all this stuff that pops up. So we should be watching people much closer than we are. And in fact, in 2018, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists came out with new guidelines for postpartum care that were much more comprehensive in terms of they said that everybody should have a check-in either in person or over the phone in some way with their provider within the first three weeks. And then it shouldn't just be like this six weeks and done. There's a lot of OB-GYNs actually advocating for the insurance coverage for pregnancy to extend for a full year because we know that it, it's not just six weeks, please. Our right. body is in recovery for a, a year if not, oh yeah, yeah. There's just so many issues that can come up in that first year. The idea that you're going to be healed and and ready and whole at six weeks is, it's not. It, it's based on it's it's based on nothing. It's not based on data. It's not based on lived experience. It's just, yeah. My my pelvic floor therapist because I was like, what where, where does this six week thing come from? And she's that's like typically how long it takes for tissue to heal. Yes. And she's like, that's like where it came from. And I'm like, this is so ridiculous. Cause yeah, I guess in theory, that's, that's what we're looking for. But when I think about, I'm almost six months postpartum and like, I, I still haven't lost all of the weight. I have like real horm, like I'm sure my hormonal fluctuations are all off. Like I, it's, and, and those are things that I would love to be able to talk to my OB about but that's just not available. And yeah, the thing is, is that what I always told people is that even though when I would see them at six weeks, I'm not practicing clinically anymore, but when I was, I would say, listen, let's do, you know, people have incontinence and they haven't, or they haven't had penetrative intercourse yet. Mm -hmm. And so we don't even know, are you going to have pain with penetrative intercourse? Are you, what else is going to come up? Are you going to start, when you wean, are you going to start experiencing some anxiety or depression? We're now seeing, it's not like it's new, it's been happening the whole time, but we're now actually finally recognizing that this is a thing. So there's all of these things that can pop up. And so I'd say like in put a note on your calendar to check in with yourself in 12 weeks and see if you need to come in again or just schedule an appointment. You can always yeah. cancel it if you don't need it. But I think that if you're seen at six weeks, obviously the pandemic kind of complicates this. We're trying to reduce appointments, but really like just having another appointment in the books for for 12 weeks, for 12 weeks later, that's not a bad idea. Like you can always cancel it. Yeah. 
Yep. I to- totally agree. Is there like a, when you were practicing clinically, was there people that you would re- refer people to? Were you a big fan of post pelvic floor physical therapy yeah, and just the different resources that people have access to? Oh yeah. I think every pregnant person and postpartum person should have access or should be seen by a pelvic floor physical therapist, both in pregnancy and after because there's so much that can be done. There's so much that can be done, but you really need someone who, unfortunately, not all physical therapists are comfortable in pregnancy and comfortable with pelvic floor physical therapy. And I've had the experience in some of the places I've worked there, you send someone and they're like, oh, I can't treat you because you're pregnant, which always makes my blood boil. But mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, the seeing a specialist in pelvic floor when you're pregnant and postpartum is, can be so crucial to your care. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it is one of those things that like I, I got for my first baby, didn't know that sex wasn't supposed to be painful. <laughs> like I was just like, Oh, this is just my new normal. And, and after my second kid, I had, no, had found out about pelvic floor physical therapy and got in immediately. And I was just like, Oh, this is like a life changing experience. Yep. yep. It makes a big difference and yes. it can make a difference in pregnancy too. Oh, I, I, no, I, like, did I see someone? I don't think I did this last time, but I should have because <laughs> I have a weak pelvic floor right now. My, okay. My last question. And then, sorry, I didn't realize we had gone over, but is just to wrap this up. When should I start thinking about contraception, contraception or family planning? Like my next baby. So if you're postpartum, you've had a baby. So basically immediately, that's a very OBGYN thing to say. Not everybody feels that way, but like out in the world, I'm like, to me, like planning pregnancy is like super important. A lot of people are not that concerned about planning it exactly, but ideally we're going to space our pregnancies. So end of one pregnancy to beginning of another by 18 months. In some situations, when people are a little bit older, we sometimes we consider like a 12-month spacing. That's really person-dependent. There's some mixed data there. But generally, we say 18 to 24 months from one pregnancy to another. So essentially, the criteria for using lactation as a birth control, they're, it's pretty like they, they have to be nursing, I think, more frequently than every four hours. So if your kiddo ever sleeps through the night, like there that goes. And they can't be, you can't be supplementing at all. You can't, it has to be all direct breastfeeding, not pumping and then giving a bottle. So really you can't, relying on lactation for contraception is tough. There are, I know in some communities who like Catholic communities where birth control is um, something that they try to avoid, there are ways that they can monitor their, to see if they're ovulating while breastfeeding. It's a, that's a, like a full-time job. It doesn't, there's not great data on it. The general data on family planning is it's not super um, effective because it requires like people being really diligent. And so if you're not doing those things, then it's really, you should be on some form of birth control. While you're breastfeeding, we typically recommend either non-hormonal or progesterone-only methods. So there's the mini pill, the progesterone pill. You take it at the same time every day. If you miss that pill by more than three hours, the window, you could potentially ovulate. So that one's when you have to be really you know, diligent about. And then there's the intrauterine devices. 
I love those. Love. And there's ones with progesterone, without progesterone. And then there's the next plan, which is an arm implant. Mm-hmm. Um, most effective form of birth control that we have, even more so than having a vasectomy or getting tubes tied. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Thank you. That was, I, <laughs> like, thank you so <laughs> much you for, for <laughs> I want, no, it's, I, I just took a deep breath because I was like, I am so I am not on birth control. And when you just said that, I'm like, I didn't get my period with either of my first two after until 13 months or 14, one of my to wean and breastfeeding completely. But I'm like, I pump. And he just started sleeping through the nights and I do not want another child. So I really need to, uh, I need to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> my brain went somewhere else. I was like, oh no. <laughs> But no, anyway, this was so informative and I thank you so much for you taking the time to share with my community and for you to, you're such a wonderful resource on Instagram. Why don't you tell people where they can find you and what type of things you offer? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Sterling OBGYN. Yeah. And I I do a lot of education about pregnancy and postpartum videos and some fun little stuff too. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and an overachiever. So I do fun little things, poking at fun at myself too, for what it's like to be (laughs) pregnant and postpartum as an overachiever. (laughs) Fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. It was an honor to be here. Okay. That's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at juna.co. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.